This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast, which focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Petey Pop, and today we have part two of our Eldari shenanigans, the GW FAQ Boogaloo. Everyone, welcome back. George, host from last week. Hello, everybody. I hope you guys liked the the intro for this week. I felt like it was a little more funky, a little more what I kind of wanted for an intro. Uh, I heard a couple people that didn't like the trumpet intro, which is perfectly okay. Uh, I am just testing intros out, so I think I might stick with this one, but I want to hear what you guys think. Um, and then I don't think I'm going to go back to the epic guitar from the original intro. I think I want to switch it up permanently. Yeah, the trumpets were a little generic and... I think I think it's good to move beyond the guitar from the first few episodes. Yeah, yeah, I just thought the trumpets the trumpets were I wanted them to go for that chapter tactics space marinesy kind of epic feel. Um but it just it, it, I don't think it panned out. Anyways, guys, so today we have a couple of announcements and then we're going to jump right into the Eldari shenanigans <clears throat> part that where we left off in the last episode and then we're going to talk about the Supercad, the Eldari Supercad that you get in the Fracture of Bealtan book as well as the psychic powers, the Ulthway Strike Force, which is actually in my opinion and a lot of people's opinions on the internet, the best part about this act book actually for the Eldar. Um, and then Finally, we're going to talk about the FAQ questions we think GW should answer. Um, we have a long list. We actually have a TO who put up even more questions online because he basically made his own FAQ, uh, which is kudos to him, Don Hoosen. Uh, Don is uh, one of the TOs in Arizona. He runs the IO Renegade GT. Uh, he, he just went ahead and took initiative and submitted his own FAQs for his event, which I think I think is great. It, it at least gets everyone on the same page in terms of his event. Which, which is cool. So it's a good starting point to look at. We're going to look at that. Um, but first, on to the announcements. Uh, one, no, announcement number one, is at the end of this episode, we're going to be interviewing Daniel Rice from the March Madness. He's going to be representing the March Madness Open. And uh, if you guys haven't heard of the March Madness Open, it's an event in Arkansas, I think Conway, Arkansas. And they have a $700 cash prize pool for first place. And that's not first place best general, first place best overall, um, which I think a lot of people will be happy with. But that's super cool. The March Madness event is going to be a huge event. They have several thousand dollars worth of prize support. It's going to be 60 people. Um, and from what I've heard, 
last year there weren't a ton of heavy hitters, people in the top twenty of the IT or the LVO. Not to say not to say that there isn't a lot of great players in Arkansas or that will attend the event. I'm sure there's a lot of fantastic players there, um, but there's no clear favorites, at least from my perspective, uh, which is kind of cool because in terms of odds and if you want to go there, you might. How you might get lucky, and also where the meta is right now with the Eldari and kind of the post LVO, and then with the eighth edition rumors, uh, people I think are feeling a little loosey goosey with their armies. Right, it's the beginning of the ITC season; they might want to start a new army. Um, so the March Madness G or March Madness Open might be uh, an event that you guys want to go to and win and do well in and have fun in. So it, it's it's going to be a great event. Uh, Go ahead and that'll be at the end of the podcast. And then the second announcement, which is the biggest announcement for TOs, is I'm teaming up with the Best Coast Pairings guys to get your events sponsored. Uh, what that means is if you uh, if you use the Best Coast Pairings app to grab lists from your players and post them on the Best Coast Pairings app, or if the players post their lists themselves on the Best Coast Pairings app, and your event becomes a sponsored event, people from around the world will be able to see the lists at your event. Now, this is a huge, unprecedented amount of coverage, and we're opening it up to everyone. If you want an event, if you want your event to be sponsored, email me, frontlinegamingpdpop at gmail.com, or you can also email itc at bestcoastpairings.com. I just want to give you guys, I just want to give you guys a warning about this. This is going to be big for your event. It's, it's a huge announcement. It's actually quite a big deal because if you get people to go look at your event and click on the Best Coast Pairings link, not only will they be able to possibly sign up for your event on the spot or know where to sign up for your event in the future, like next year or next month, um, they'll also be able to look at lists so they'll have a kind of idea of what your meta is and see if they like that. And because more there will be more events with more published lists, more people will focus less on asking the same questions. What lists are good? Where can I find these lists that are winning? And focus on other important questions like, what do I do with these winning lists? Or how do I beat these winning lists? And I think that's the next step to improving the competitive 40K community and just improving the community in general is if you take away that coverage that people seek, or if you make it easier for them to access and they spend less time accessing or less time finding those those questions and finding those lists, they might spend more time working on their army or um countering the tactics George, do you want to say something yeah i think it's nice it spent it's so players can spend less time on the meta meta game of hunting <laughs> down this information and get back to the real meat and potatoes which of is the actual, the meta, actual game. meta game of how to beat them all right because finding sometimes finding some of these lists is a bit of an art itself i, I personally found that out I've just trying to run tournaments or trying to run tournament coverage um, it can be a bit of a challenge finding some lists. Sometimes you got to go through several Facebook posts, several Facebook messages. Um, maybe you got to make a couple phone calls. Uh, you might have to go into the webway a little. It's rough. It's not easy. Uh, but so th that's the big announcement, guys. So once again, if you guys want your event sponsored for Best Coast Pairings, uh, now keep in mind that we're not going to be taking all events. Uh, Best Coast Pairings is not going to be sponsoring every single event. We're going to keep this very limited. Um, so I will be picky. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm going to choose ITC only events. I'm going to be as 100% fair as possible. Um, so don't, don't worry if your event isn't a pure ITC format or if, if we have at one point had a small spat on Facebook or whatever, which as I have known to do sometimes, I'm sorry, I'm a passionate guy, especially when it comes to 40K in the hobby. Um, but 
don't worry. I, I'm looking at it from a completely objective point of view. I'm looking at the events where most people attend, the events that people want to hear about, uh, the events with the coolest prize support, the events with unique draws to them, um, like a $700 cash pri prize to the best overall. Um, we're looking for those kind of events. So if you feel like your event, if you feel like you want to take your event to the next level, email me, frontlinegamingpdpop at gmail.com. Let's get your event sponsored. And on top of that, I'll even throw in another caveat. I'll talk about it on the stream, or on the podcast. Sorry, not the stream. We're not streaming. Um, but on the podcast here on Chapter Tactics, I do talk about large events, whether they are sponsored or not. Um, but if we, we manage to get your event sponsored, I will talk about it on the podcast, no matter how big it is, um, because I want to promote that. So guys, uh, See if you can get your event sponsored. Uh, and that's it. Moving on to Eldari shenanigans. Oh Just boy. to recap real quick. Last week we talked about the triumvirate, the models. Uh, I did, I did not, I didn't forget to mention any rules. Like for example, the Visark can auto pass lookout sirs, uh, and then I the for Yvrain. For Yvrain, yes. And uh, uh, and the he can Avatar. Also, yeah, got, um, he gets the, a warlord trait. The, the yeah, the Visark also automatically gets a warlord trait. So he's a nice way to try to like. Sneak in a second one if you are really right. hunting for one of them. Uh, he also automatically passes Glorious Interventions. Yes. For um, Yvrain. Saving Yvrain. And I'm not sure why you didn't just accept the challenge with him in the first place, but <laughs> he can definitely play the big hero and jump in. Yeah. Uh, it's actually in something I was reading through with James, a chaos player, local chaos player around here that I've had on the podcast a couple of times. We mentioned it's, him last time. It's actually really hard to accept a challenge. You both have to be engaged and within a certain amount of inches, I believe. You have to be engaged. You have to be within two inches of a model that is in base to base. Yes. And since challenges happen before any pylon moves, it's right. actually surprisingly hard right. so, to get a good challenge. Yeah. So sometimes if your opponent charges charges, and uh, Ivrain is the only model that can possibly be challenged, she's either not swinging or she's jumping into a challenge, um, which, which is, I think, kind of cool. That's not something people talk about very much. So guys, next time you're charging something and you really need to challenge out a character like in a Death Star, perhaps, kind of look at uh, measure uh, the three inches from all the models that you're going to hit in base to base and kind of look at what you need to roll to get that character so he's engaged in combat. So you can either get him in a challenge and quote unquote snipe him, or you can get him not swinging and maybe survive against Death Star a little longer. You uh, can use this the other way too. Yes. Uh, a tactic that uh, orc players locally here used to use in 6th edition was making sure your knob in your squad was more than 2 inches away but less than 5. So he would not be eligible for a challenge so they couldn't challenge your power claw out and kill it before it swung at I1. And that way you could walk in, be in swinging range, and uh, actually get your hidden power claw to be both hidden and get its power claw swings in. Uh, but, but yeah, so if you guys, there's a little nifty tactics in there. Um, there's also another tactic that we're going to talk about a little later. I'm not going to mention anything about it. I'm going to keep it a little bit of a surprise until we get to it later. But the key word for that tactic is pop rocks. Pop rocks, like the candy. All right, on to the Eldari shenanigans. There might be a little bit of crossover between this episode and last episode. Sorry, guys, it has been about a week since we recorded. Um, there might be some crossover. Um, we might repeat ourselves a little, but I think the most important thing is that George got more shenanigans. Just a couple, uh, and a couple more that uh, didn't quite work out upon <laughs> rereading of the rulebook. Yeah. But uh, I believe we left off just in general talking about how much fast units really benefit from the movement aspect of this. Mm -hmm. uh, I think specifically we were talking about scourges. 
And I mentioned that uh, the rule takes scourges from models with one and a half good guns, which are basically their haywire guns with 24 inch range, yeah. and, uh, and blasters, uh, more or less, to a unit with three good guns, because the blasters become a lot more useful if you can get in and get out by killing a, uh, either a tank or an infantry unit. But it also makes the heat lances a lot more of a desirable option. Because four heat lances going into the vehicle, heat lances are, are okay, but four of them going in should probably kill the vehicle, and then you can actually get out of there because you no longer have to be within nine inches of the vehicle at the end of that now, phase. Now, what's a heat lance? A heat lance is a weird little uh, dark Eldar-only melt-a-gun <laughs> uh, with 18 inches of range and strength six. Ooh. So it's uh, not super great. A lot of the time, but it's okay at killing rhinos. And if you drop down in the middle of a battle company, I'm sure you'll have plenty of space marines and rhinos to double pop with those things. But I'm sure those hedonist dark Eldar will agree with me when I say that that six inches really matters. But yeah, I'm for sure. <laughs> All right. So moving on away from that, next, what's the next shenanigan there, George? All right. So moving on to the new stuff. Um, just in general, hit and run is really available to a lot of units that wouldn't normally get it because in the uh, Eldari formations, you can basically just pepper in as many of the really good Harlequin characters as you want. Both Shadow Seers and Death Jesters are cheap. I think they're both 60 points, more or less. Usually you're going to want a level 2 Shadow Seer, but it's totally fine to spam out a bunch of level 1s depending on what you're going for with your list. And they all have hit and run stock. So you can attach them to units you expect to charge into combats that may not be as good at killing things, and it just gives you a lot more uh, mobility with getting out of unfavorable fights and not getting trapped places you don't want to be. You can really utilize this to kind of position yourself better um, around the board where you expect deaths might happen e either in the next turn but you uh, definitely want to make note that hit-and-run moves happen at the end of the assault phase. Yes. So you can't jump around to other combats where you expect deaths to happen to get within six inches in case you haven't already triggered your soul burst. Nothing's stopping you from just consolidating closer to them if you win your combat and choose to use the soul burst action or actions for other units. Um but you can't do it with hit and run. And just to clarify, what George is talking about is when there are multiple combats going on across the table, you actually pick a combat and then you resolve it entirely, which means the unit dies. Uh, why this is huge is you can have, let's say, a unit of Harlequins or Witches that uh, they just resolve their combat, they won miraculously, and you didn't want to activate their soul burst because you wanted them to charge into another combat or another unit that was just a little too far away. So what you can do is you can consolidate them to a combat that that will definitely give you a soul burst action. And then you can then use that soul burst action in the same combat phase to charge them before your opponent gets a chance to start moving and shooting and ruining all your pretty little plans. Right. Um, this uh, The use of uh, the consolidate move to move around before resolving other other uh, combats is something that I first found out about back in 4th edition with a lot of Tyranid models because you wanted to shift your synapse ranges around before you got in and resolved a fight that you might possibly lose. That extra 6 inches could get your Hive Tyrant in range to make your Gaunts not lose their shit if they lose like 12 guys because they're Gaunts. Once again, the extra 6 inches is very important. 
All right. Tyranids are telling you this time. <laughs> Tyranids. Oh, God. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, uh, on to the next shenanigan. Moving on. Just a couple of points about the Death Jester. Uh, the Death Jester has a really fun rule on... Uh, I think it's just on him. It may just be on his fancy pants gun. If he kills a model in the shooting phase... So it's hard to really get crazy mileage out of this. But if you do it in the shooting phase, the unit that took a wound has to take a leadership test at minus two when they... Uh, would normally take a fallback test. And this forces a fallback test as if they'd lost 25% of their guys. The big plus is you get to choose the direction they fall back in if they fail. Historically, this is a really funny way to make people fall off the board because you can make them run off short edges or even your table edge, and that'll just kill the unit. But when you're playing uh, Eldari, you also want to watch out for opportunities to use this and reposition units to better spots. So you can generate more uh, strength from death kills. You can basically use it to pull a unit closer into your army, and even if you're already going to charge them, now they're positioned in a spot where more or different units are available to get soul bursts in your shooting phase if they hadn't, or in, your, in the following assault phase, if they hadn't already had the chance to use one in your shooting phase. Um, it's not just specifically for Eldari, because pulling them closer so you can charge them is kind of a standard Harlequin tactic. Yeah. Uh, but it's definitely something that you want to keep track of because it may not be initially obvious. The ability to move your opponent's models is always extremely strong, and uh, this is one of the very few ways you can still do that in 40k. What I really like about this is the implications of chaining Solverse in your shooting phase. Just just to, It just gives you another little technique to, to chain Solverse. For example, I was thinking, instead of you using it to chain a soul burst later on uh which you or or um using it use that choosing that shooting to chain a soul burst period what you can do is you can use something like Yverain's net or Inead's net uh which is the four different four different jet bike units that we talked about last week on the podcast right which they come in on diff, on each table edge so you can kind of get kind of get that coverage there so what you can do is because the death jester can infiltrate in one of his formations one of the formations the hero's yeah. path which we'll talk about we'll talk about that soon. in a second uh, but basically what he can do is he can join a unit a large unit of scat bikes and then they can shoot a unit shoot the crap out of a unit right because he infiltrated next to them and they drove onto the table edge next to the same unit you wanted to kill you can shoot the crap out of one unit trigger the soul burst action so Either he shoots at another unit, and then can make that unit run. Um, so I don't know if you, I don't know if you basically what I'm saying is is he can shoot twice um, at tougher units. That let's say like you have like a Death Star, um, where you know that maybe uh, most, shooting at most maybe Death shooting Stars at them these with days a, are pretty fearless. Right, right. But if well, it's a leadership test, right? It's so they'd auto pass straight up it. a morale test. It's one of the most uh, most preventable a, kind a of tests in 40k. I guess there's chaplains in a, in Bark So anyways, yeah. my point is is that if there's a unit that you feel like the scat bikes can't shoot at or can't really soften up and kill, so you wouldn't want to waste their soul burst action, you can kill a smaller unit for essentially free, right? And then change that soul burst action to shoot at the tougher unit. And then that tougher unit, you can also shoot at with your Death Jester, and you might be able to pick off a model and then make them fail their leadership test and then maybe move that unit wherever you want. Um, yeah, it's, just, standard, it's just cool. Standard Death Jester tricks, really. Right. Since you have Soul Burst, you can double up on your chances to get cheeky with him. Right. And, and if you, if you, it would be kind of cool if you could kill an independent character in the first unit you shot at but not wipe them completely. That way you could move one unit and then the second unit shoot at, you might be able to do it again. It starts getting tricky because <laughs> then you have to be banking on sniping uh, independent characters when you're also within seven inches of the, the unit. 
Yeah. It's definitely that kind of and these are obviously death feeling that the Harlequins have where you're kind of taking steps and seeing the responses to hope for interesting effects. And these are obviously fringe tactics. They're they're not something you're going to expect to see every game, but the the point of playing 40k competitively and that's not competitively like I go to tournaments and I win with my Eldar. That's not what I mean when I say 40k competitively. Um what I mean by playing 40k competitively is by playing it with tactically sound thoughts in mind to make the game more enjoyable and more competitive. Um, which means it might come down to a final dice roll or yep. might come down to actual tactics instead of one of you steamrolling the other. Uh, so the, that's, the key to... That's, yeah, that's kind of the goal, I feel, with a lot of the stuff that we're talking about right. here. Most of these you're not going to apply in many of your games. No. But I'm absolutely positive that you'll find an opportunity like we've talked about in maybe one in every five or one in every ten games. And having the presence of mind to identify these weird, interesting, cool tricks that you can pull to really change the course of a battle in an unexpected way is how I see the essence of a tactic. Yes. Rather than like an overarching and strategy. that's actually, knowing all those little tiny things, even, even when you're not using them because they're out of sight, out of mind because you're never using those tactics, but just knowing them in your head and using them when they finally come up and taking full advantage of them, that's what sets apart... Uh, good players from bad players in terms of playing the actual game of 40Ks, knowing and remembering those things. Uh, and those are those are all little, little tiny things, um, but they can really add up when you've been playing the game a long time like George has or when, you're, when you've been playing a lot of games like everyone in the top who made the top eight at Delvio. Uh, so just a little food for thought as you're listening to this, you might think, eh, I'm never going to see that. Why bother learning it? Um, well, no, I mean... It might happen sometimes, and you might be able to take full advantage of it, and then hopefully you'll remember back to this podcast, and you'll think, wow, that those guys actually helped me out, and they also sell Games Workshop product at 25% off MSRP. <laughs> wow. Frontline Gaming and Chapter Tactics, you guys are the shit. Back to, hopefully. The, back to the shenanigans. The fringe Tactics I was talking about. Back Speaking of Fringe Tactics. <laughs> All right, so this is a fun one. Basically, the way that um, strength or power from death, I use those two words pretty interchangeably, the basically, one of the options lets you charge again. And it specifically says that if you're charging into an ongoing combat, um, you need to respect the initiative order. Yeah. And what more or less will often happen is if you jump from one combat, win it, and then charge into another, you're going to lose your attacks. Usually. Because a couple models in these codexes famously have the ability to modify their uh, initiative value by charging through cover because they lack assault grenades. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about uh, Incubi, one of the better um, one of the better Eldar close combat units. It's a good example of this. It's a really, <laughs> really hard-hitting unit with, hey, that's a lot of AP2, strength 5, weapon skill 5, I think they're strength 4, weapon skill 5 attacks for pretty cheap. It's pretty good for what you're getting out of Dark Eldar. Okay, okay, so go on. Uh, so and it, it's a good value. It's a good value. Uh, but it also um, can be applied to the Vice Arc, who we mentioned last week lacks assault grenades. Yes. Um, but I think, uh, depending on your list, if you're more of an Eldar player, this also applies to all Wraith models. No Wraith models have assault grenades. So um, Wraith Lords, Wraith Blades, Wraith and Knights. the Wraith Knight all uh, can use this. And what you'll do is you'll win a combat and then charge into another one through cover, intentionally. And this is going to change your initiative to one, so even though your unit has already acted at the initiative five, 
Well, your initiative's one now, so when that turn in the initiative comes around, you're free to swing. And that could go either way, depending on how the FAQs roll out. I'm not sure if that is in the uh, big list that... Uh, I, I don't think it needs to be. I think it's very, very self-explanatory. It's um, just a little weird. But, and you know... FAQs yeah. get a lot of... It's just a little weird question. Right. So, but but George is absolutely 100% correct. And from what I've read online about people talking about this strength from death roll and soul bursting is that it's kind of a bit of a nerf. They're like, oh, I can't swing at my same initiative step, so I can't swing, period. And it's like, well, wait a minute. First off, you're complaining about not being able to swing twice You're complaining in a combat? about yeah, charging like, two units a hold turn? Hold on. So, don't, so hold your horses there, Eldar player. Um, second off... It benefits Dark Eldar and Wraith, Wraith Lords, who aren't used very much, um, which is just kind of cool. kind of buffs them a little, or at the same time, not really buffing Eldar as it's, much. It's just so a fun little thing you should it is a fun keep thing. in mind. Yeah, and anyway, next, next shenanigan. All right, uh, and then here's probably one of the biggest ones that you can really pull off, and this is very much one of the most tournament-appliable tactics you're going to find in here, um, and it's based off of the fact that you do have to continue to respect the initiative order when charging into an ongoing combat. And also that the big Eldari formation that will basically give you the ability to take most units as Eldari models that I believe we'll be covering just after this, gives your whole army stubborn. And the basic plan here is to charge a unit you don't particularly care about into a big super Death Star. Or just like a really angry blender unit of Terminators or something. Um... Usually, most units have kind of a prevailing initiative. Uh, for Death Stars, it's kind of their cheap weight of attack chafe unit. So dogs or if it's uh, like screamers or even just the initiative of a command squad is usually going to average out to about four. So what you'll want to do is get your first unit killed and have another unit prepared to charge in after it. That second unit hopefully is also a throwaway unit. And you charge it right in, and either, since the initiative order keeps counting down, you're probably not getting your attacks, but that doesn't matter because the attacks on your basic guys are usually pretty bad anyway. But they've already lost the majority of their attacks because they used it super overkilling the four guys that you fed into them earlier in that phase. And then at that point, all you're going to need to do is make sure your whole unit doesn't die to slower attacks, like a couple of power fists. And then as long as one guy is left, that's one stubborn leadership test, and you've successfully held down that expensive Death Star with two whatever you had lying arounds. Right, and that's actually that's actually huge uh, because holding those Death Stars in place with cheap units is sometimes the only way to beat them. And I'm going to use an an anecdote um, from a buddy of mine, Kyle. Kyle is a demon player. He's, I think, in my opinion, one of the best players in San Diego in a really deep player pool competitive wise there's a lot of really good players here in we san got diego a lot of killers here in san diego yeah um but kyle kyle's a really good player and we have something called the masters league which is long story short it's uh 2000 points um six month long league where we play and it's it's hardcore it's real competitive and you you tailor your list to every opponent but everyone knows each other's factions and that's kind of expected you expect to get your list tailored against so you get some weird kind of things going on um, big prize pool, but basically Kyle got paired up in the playoffs against Brandon Grant. If you haven't heard of Brandon Grant, which most people you have, but not everyone, Brandon Grant plays second at the LVO. 
He came, I, I think, a couple points away from getting second in the ITC. He was actually one of the clear favorites to win the whole LVO. And the fact that he made it to the final table at the LVO and only lost off of first blood um, speaks volumes to how good Brandon is. Brandon's been cleaning up all of last year ITC season. He's been dominating players and winning events left and right. So Brandon Grant is hot, hot player coming right off the LVO finals at the LVO. Kyle plays him. Kyle doesn't really play as much 40K as Brandon does. Um, Kyle's just a really smart guy. He beats him. Mm-hmm. And it's an upset. He he doesn't just beat him. As according to Brandon Grant, he got destroyed. He got he got absolutely beaten. Um, and the way Kyle did this was Pop Rocks, which Pop is rocks. something we talked about. George George and Kyle wanted me to say Pop Rocks and kind of claim well, it as their own. <laughs> well, basically, yeah. okay. So George is going to explain the Pop day, Rocks. The way that a way that it works is this is a uh, a little tactic using everybody's definitely most favorite unit in the whole game, Brimstone Horrors. Oh. Um, using a formation of brimstone horrors that the, you don't usually the brimstone see. Brimstone conflagration. Oh, uh, that's that what it's, it's called? called. It's the brimstone conflagration. Okay, the brimstone explodatorium. Yes. Um, allows you to spontaneously detonate your brimstone horrors at the start of combat to deal. I think it's D three wounds for each one you blow up. Yeah. At like initiative ten before blows are struck. Yes. So Kyle's game plan was to bring the. Uh, brimstone conflagration and more or less cover his board and horrors to force uh brandon grant who has uh running a hybrid death star um battle company list uh into charging the brimstone horrors and when the brimstone horrors are charged kyle detonates approximately four of them generally the four that are closest to the dogs and this is important because now the models are too far away to actually reach each other with their initiative step moves, so they can't, uh, they don't actually swing. And then during the second round of pylons at the end of the assault phase, they can reach each other. Right. And since Kyle controls how many brimstones blow up, he gets to basically dictate if the combat will continue or end. And those, for those of you who are wondering how exactly that works, uh, basically when you go to your initiative step and you start swinging, you pile in three inches and then you do your attacks. So what Kyle does is he measures five inches or four inches or 3.1001 inches, whatever it takes. For when Brandon, when Brandon, what's Brandon's initiative step, which is initiative four. And if you're not aware of Brandon Grant's list, which you can find on Best Coast Pairings, at the LVO was a sponsored event. You can find his list. Uh, he had a very, very large wolf star. So 99% of his death star, wolf star, was swinging at initiative four. So in initiative four, his wolves would pile in three inches. The brimstone horrors would be conveniently out of base-to-base contact. And then Kyle would pile in with his brimstone horrors. And then basically Brandon would have to clean up brimstones with a bunch of initiative one characters who may or may not be out of combat, depending on how Kyle charged them, and thus forfeiting his attacks. And then, as I'm sure George is going to get into, brimstone horrors have two wounds each. So when they take their demonic instability test, they actually have a lot of chap wounds to survive the demonic instability it's test. very easy for them yeah. to survive when they lost combat by four because they blew up four guys. Right, or eight. Or eight, or they have two wounds each. Yeah. But unless, unless Kyle rolls boxcars, I think it's the bad one. It's either yeah. snake eyes or boxcars. The one where you lose the entire unit. Uh, he's not his unit isn't going anywhere. He's gonna maybe lose another ten brimstone horrors, whatever. It's yep. a unit of twenty, uh, and they have two wounds each. So he's got forty wounds to deal with. 
And then when he consolidates in, the cool thing about this is they're only thirty points, a thirty point unit. Thirty point unit. They're very uh, cheap. Brandon had no idea that he what he was getting himself into when he charged the unit. So Kyle actually just bubble wrapped the brimstones around his renegade artilleries, and then uh, on Basically, Kyle's turn, yeah, on Kyle's turn, he would detonate the rest of the brimstone squad because pylons would have brought them all closer in, and then he charges with a fresh squad yes. once it's his turn, yeah. and he gets to basically loop. Do this loop for four or five turns, depending on the amount of squads that were brought, and that takes you basically to the end of the game. Right. And then, meanwhile, his renegade artillery are killing battle uh, a Dark Angels battle company. Um, he's got in a two up rerollable Zinch Demon Knight who he could charge into the squad. I think he did do it later, charge into the squad to stomp out the Warlord. Um, because that wolf star isn't going to deal with the knight, and unless there's unless Kyle gets very unlucky, unless like the full seven turns happen, which didn't happen because the wolf star was being busy dealing with all these little brimstone whores, and they also flew fate weave around, used him as a gunboat. So basically, Kyle's plan was I'm going to use roughly ninety points of my army to lock up Brandon Grant's roughly six nine five to six hundred points of his army, yep. and I'm going to beat Brandon's army with an army that can beat Battle Company. Um, very easily. So it, it was it was a very solid tactic, and that's Pop Rocks. Yep, guys. That, that is Pop Rocks. Brimstone Conflagration. I actually said it when the book first came out. That's a really good formation. Now, the downside to Brimstone Conflagration is you don't have OPSEC on your Brimstones anymore, yeah. which means you need to be intelligent about taking this, depending on your metagame. If your metagame's full of hit-and-run Death Stars, this doesn't really work. No. And if it, But if it's full of Death Stars that are just really intent on brute forcing their way in it's an absolute great way to lock down the death star and go about winning the game however else you'd like to it's also good for uh msu demon armies that have a lot of optic they can spam um maybe you have a lot of nurglings lying around some splitting pink horrors are good uh, basically you want to use the brimstone conflagration to absolutely zone your opponent out of a spot um like like george said if they're running an aggressive death star uh, so keep that in mind. It's also really cheap, so it, it's an easy kind of tool for you to think about when you're building your demon list. And if you want to take that into the like ITC, uh, the new ITC season, and you're kind of wondering like, oh, I can't deal with Death Stars. What do I do? That might be an option you might want to look into. But we're not here to talk about demons, no, Pablo. No, we're here to talk about Eldari, who may or may not be following demons. <laughs> All right. Uh, so what, what's the next Eldari shenanigans? So we're getting down to the end of our list, and I just want to mention more or less a tactic, uh, less a tactic and more of a, a thought process that you can really follow with Eldari. And everybody's seen that last-minute unit that jumps off and splits off from the army to go and take an objective. And with the Eldari faction, it's really easy to go and chase that unit down, and normally that puts you out of position for other things. But again, due to the movement aspect of Strength from Death, you can get back into position to win the rest of the game after you chase it down. So this is especially useful for jet bikes, both of Dark Eldar and Harlequin varieties, as well as fast units, Harlequins, Scourges, um, Eldar jet bikes, uh, Warp Spiders, just the fast stuff can really use this. And then the last thing I want to talk about is, is really less of a tactic and, and more of a lifestyle. This lifestyle is called the Spooky Boat, and it's the combination of what is basically three armies worth of leadership messing with shenanigans. I want to put a disclaimer here. This is not a good list. It's just a funny one. Um, but by combining relics from the Dark Eldar book, specifically the Armor of Misery and the Amius Vitae, 
as well as the uh, Mask of Secrets from the Harlequin book. And if you're feeling really saucy, you can bring an allied detachment of uh, homunculus covens for an additional minus one to the enemy's leadership. You can roll around the table with a deep striking boat, uh, usually a raider, just because of how many people it holds. But if you're feeling spicy, you can get a tantalus just because of how gigantic it is. <laughs> um, and you can lay down a gigantic bubble of between minus four and minus six leadership. And you pop uh, a once per use uh, war gear called the Amius Viete, which will make everybody within nine inches of that character take uh, leadership tests at minus two, and that functions as a six edition style psychic streak. So every point that they fail by, they take wounds. Um, you follow this up with a whole bunch of cheap psychers using psychic streak, as well as if you're feeling spicy, you use torment grenade launchers. You can even use some hemlock wraith fighters who have more uh, leadership shenanigans built into them, as well as psychic pilots who can cast additional psychic shrieks. And uh, well, they do general, get telepathy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and in general, just mess around with the leadership values of the enemy army. A couple of things important about this. None of these work on fearless units. Uh, so that's never good. But Psychic Shriek does work on them. And even if a unit is stubborn, the important thing to note is that their leadership value still goes down. Stubborn just ignores that negative modifier for morale and pinning tests. Mm. Which means all of these tests which attack leadership directly get past stubborn. A lot of these rules also don't work on models with uh, and they shall know no fear. Damn. Generally bad. But a couple of funny applications include using this to snipe models in squads like that that don't have they shall know no fear. So if you, for example, have a wolf star hey, uh, wolf with star. a priest in it. Oh, the priest is fearless. Hold on. Uh, with Kodiaz in it. Oh, yes. Who is just stubborn. Oh, and Kodiaz is going to just get really scared and explode. Right, because he is the only model. It's all models in the unit. Uh, you get, I think remove wounds from models in the unit. You only can remove wounds from models in the unit that don't have those fearless rules. or and they shall know no fear. Uh, other fun models that don't have and they shall know no fear are artillery, thunderfire mm. cannons, or it's uh, a good way to deal. With artillery. Yeah, a, a nice way to to snipe artillery out. That's um, pretty good. So That's pretty silly. Just a fun list if you feel like messing around. Don't bring it against space marines, but. Uh, it's a good time. Spooky boat. Spooky um, boat. The the one thing I will say though is uh, that that um, you guys might not be aware of uh, the GWFQ FAQ'd it so auras don't protrude af out of the vehicles that you're in now. Well, you're gonna have to get so out there and have do to get the out. dirty work yourself. But if I don't know if you can fit minus the homunculus covens book, you I think you can fit all that in the super cad easily. The, so easily. So you can actually get out, blow up a bunch of units, and then get right back in with your soul burst action. Yep. So uh, you're going to be in, in danger close range anyways. Yep, and it's always good to consider the homunculus covens, specifically for one very strong formation it brings. You can always go for the big, giant monster mash, corpse thief claw, but if you're feeling a little more conservative, you can bring the scalpel squadron, which is two venoms with five racks in each of them. It's really good. Uh, it's a strong formation primarily because it starts in reserve and always drops in on turn one, which lets you... Uh, not only project a minus one leadership bubble from all your homunculus coven's units, but it also can let you dodge angry alpha strike armies that you're not going first right. against. And Eldar traditionally have a hard time dealing with alpha strikes because they have so they lack 
ways to alpha strike or ways to stop the alpha strike and lack ways to null deploy. Um, specifically, Tawadar lists and Pure Eldar lists, they have pretty much no way. Although this book does introduce a way, which we'll get about later. Um, so that's pretty much it for our Eldari shenanigans. Yep, that's pretty much all of them. So we are going to get into a commercial break brought to you by the guys from Life After the Cover Save. Uh, they do great, hilarious work. If you've never heard of them, the Life After the Cover Save podcast. It's really funny. It's just you guys listen to them. They're great. Um, they did a commercial for us that I've been airing a few episodes now, um, but I wanted to give them a more complete shout out. Um, great job, Blake, Ned. You guys are awesome. And then after that, we're going to go over the Reborn Warhost detachment, which is the super CAD for the Eldari and what it can do, what kind of what kind of you can build out of it and what I like from it. And then we're going to talk about briefly about the Revenant discipline, which is the uh, Inari psychic discipline that all these units like Ivrain and the Avatar can get into. And then lastly, we're going to talk about the Ulthway Strike Force, and then we'll talk about the FAQs yep, special, right after this. Special Forces Eldar. Yo, get off the computer. I need to check eBay. I got an auction ending soon. Wait, what are you doing on the computer? I'm just buying some minis online. Are you saving money? Nah, dude, saving clicks. Time is money, right? Hey, what the heck was that for? Dude, you gotta buy from Frontline Gaming. They offer savings on minis every single day. And up to 25% off Games Workshop stuff. Whoa, that's better than saving clicks. With all that savings... I can take a few days off of work so I can paint these minis. Ow! You gotta stop that. It hurts. You know what hurts? Spending three weeks base coning models. Save yourself some pain and get them painted by Frontline Gaming's painting studio. You know what? You've got all the answers. That's why I'm glad you're my best friend. I don't know what I'd do without you. I could never hurt you. What are you looking up on eBay? I'm uh, selling a bunch of old models. Don't really use them anymore. Why aren't you going through Frontline Gaming's secondhand store? You can get money or store credit. I think you broke my nose. I don't like your tone, mister. So I'm just going to say this. Head over to FrontlineGaming.org for more details. Okay, guys, we're back. So Reborn Warhost Attachment. We're going to be really brief about this. And there's actually something in this that I already am highlighting that we might need GW to FAQ. And just because of a little, not argument, but a little um, disagreement George and I had about the Warhost of Inead special command benefit that you get from it. Um, so first and foremost, the Reborn Warhost Attachment is a CAD. It is not a super CAD like the Castellan's Attachment from the Fall of Cadia book, which means you only get uh, one to two HQs. 2 to 6 troops, and 0 to 3 of each fast attack, heavy support, and elites, and then only one Lord of War. And then there's no formation slot as well. Um, so it, it is basically a combined arms attachment. Uh, no fortifications either. Yeah, oh, sorry, did I say... You what did formations. I, say? I, I meant to say fortifications. No, sorry, no fortification slot. Uh, and other than that, there's no restrictions. Um, you do have to be Inari, or I think, what's the actual faction? Eldari. Eldari. And you can pick... Uh, the specific rules of the Reborn Warhost lets you pick units from the Dark Eldar, Harlequin, or Eldar books. Yes. And they gain a second faction, the Eldari faction, and it does a couple of neat things for them. It gives you a few command benefits and also gives you the fun ability to take relics from any of those codexes. Yes. So you can do some interesting mix-and-match relics with your Dark Eldar or your Harlequins or even your uh, Autarchs. Uh, And another thing to keep in note is 
you can only take the Inari faction is the only faction that you can take with the reborn warhost detachment. Um, so you won't get battle focusing warp spiders in this detachment at all. Never, ever. Sorry. Um, so just keep that in mind that the the Inari the Inari um, strength from death rule replaces the battle focus and the power from pain yep. and the Harlequin one, which I already forgot. Um, the Harlequins don't have one. Well, they don't free have rules. one, so they just get a free roll. Okay, but on to the actual detachment, the command methods. You get to re-roll your warlord trait in the book. Standard. Kind of cool. That's that's what comes standard, like George normal, said. Normal, normal um, formation bonus. Our souls we entrust, which is units from this detachment, have the stubborn special roll, like you mentioned before. This is where you get that stubborn special roll. And in addition, if a unit from this detachment is within seven inches of another unit from this detachment, it does not have to take a morale check when it loses 25% or more. So this is actually an important rule for a couple of playstyles with the Eldari because it's going to keep your models near each other. So they trigger soul burst. So you don't have guys deciding it's getting a little too hot from all that shooting and just running away. It ensures they're going to stay right there next to all their friends so that when they die, everybody gets to do a crazy combo turn. Yeah, and it's also big for units um, like scat bikes that stay in the back and shoot. Um, I cannot count how many times I've shot a bolter at a unit, a scat bike unit who's next to all his buddies, um, all his other buddy, buddy units, and they just run off the board because they move 3d6 inches back. Um, it happens all the time. I just, I'm just shoot a bolt pistol or a bolt going at your, at your scat bikes and prey. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes they fail their leadership and they run out the board. And it gets really sad when that happens. Um, so this kind of mitigates that. It's it's a big weakness, I think, for Eldar and Dark Eldar and T3 models in particular. Yeah. Uh, that want to run MSU armies. So it's it's a good little rule. Definitely a big buff if uh, Reese decides to try to bring back the mighty, mighty Footdar. <laughs> uh, and then finally, the War Host of Inyad, which is what really sets this, potentially really sets this detachment far ahead of everything else, um, which is basically if this detachment includes seven or more units. Now, I don't know if that means, I don't know if that means that it includes seven or more units on the table or if that includes when you buy seven more I units. I think it's just seven or more units. I think I think it's because so a detachment isn't something that's on the table. Yeah. Right, it's a list building thing. Anyways. It's definitely there to incentivize you actually building an Eldari army right, instead, instead of, of picking and choosing it. the guys that you think would be best <laughs> with strength from death. And just bringing a bunch of double-tapping fire dragons. Oh, GW. I'm so proud of you guys. Planning uh, ahead. But basically, if you do have those seven or more units in the detachment, you can select one additional unit to make a soul burst action each time a unit is destroyed. Now, we're going to talk about this in the FAQ section. Um, but real quick, where George and I disagreed on this is he believes that... I think that you have to select another unit within seven inches because only units within seven inches of a destroyed unit are eligible to make a soldier. Right. And I believe it could j you, they just get the soul burst action because the soul burst action is independent from the the requirement to use it. Um, and you can pick any unit on the table, regardless of where they are, and they get a soul burst action. It's, it's my distinct hope that Pablo is wrong, primarily because I feel like uh, if it works in that way, it takes away a lot of the more balancing aspects of the rule that require you to be up there and close and making you commit when you want to do interesting and fun things with your special rules and just turns it into what will probably feel like your opponent just getting uh, three shooting phases every game turn. Yeah, and, and I hope I'm wrong too, I'll be honest. It's, it's really powerful. My interpretation is a lot more powerful than George's interpretation. Um, but I want to hear what you guys think real quick. 
Uh, you guys are probably already going into the comments of Facebook or this blog or anywhere. I can hear you guys already clickety clacketing and you know putting your opinions out there, which is good um, because that's what got GW to FAQ in the first place. Um, and also one thing real quick, if you guys hear a clang in the background or not really clickety clacks, but a bong, uh, there is next door a group of players that they train that's baseball youth and they train and all they do is swing at baseballs and work to get better to get into the major leagues. Hope they make it good for them. Uh, but if that, if you're wondering what that noise is, that's what it is. On the plus side, it makes a lot more sense than the gentleman who was just hitting a pipe back at the old store. Simple Simon. <laughs> um, anyways, on to the actual Reborn Warhost attachment. I don't think there's a whole lot to say here um, from the Eldar side. I personally believe that the Eldar don't benefit as much from this Reborn Warhost attachment or Soulburst as Dark Eldar and Harlequins do, uh, simply because Battle Focus is such a powerful ability. I, I use 30 Warp Spiders in my Battle Company and Warp Spiders list, and I don't think I would use Warp Spiders if they lost Battle Focus. I, I think I flat out would just refuse to use them because they wouldn't be as good. Sure, I can technically get two Aspects hosts in this formation and do it cheaper, then my pale host, because I wouldn't have to take the Autark, I would just take a Lamian, but then I also have to take two troop choices. So never mind, that's actually false. I think it's still cheaper to take the pale court with the Autark. Doesn't matter. I, I wouldn't give up battle focus, especially the auto run six that the war host brings in the Eldar Ooh, Codex. So strong. Yeah, it's, it's really good. So about the units you can take, it's really simple. Any of them. You can take more or less any unit from the Harlequins, Dark Eldar, or Eldar Codexes. The Not only the units okay. that you cannot take are the Avatar of Cain, because why, why would he show up? You're worshipping somebody else right now. Oh. And the other ones you can't bring are the homunculus models from the Dark Eldar book. This one's actually there, primarily, I suspect, for a fluff reason. The homunculus guys in fluff basically make their livelihood creating clone bodies for the Dark Eldar to get put back into when they die so their souls don't go get eaten by Slanish. And they're looking at this, and they're like, what do you mean... You don't need clone bodies anymore to save your soul. It's a bit of a this conflict is, of interest. This there. is my job we're talking about here. <laughs> uh, now, some interesting fluff things here. Uh, first off, I will issue a spoiler alert for those of you who have, that have not read the Fracture of Yeltan book. This is a spoiler alert right now. You've been warned. Okay. So, uh, the Avatar of Cain is dead. That's probably why he isn't in this book. He was crushed by Scarbrand. Ooh. Um, so the Avatar of Cain was killed. Also, the homunculus covens, the homunculi, homunculi are being are hunting down Ivrain and her little band of death-defying Eldar. This is bad for business, man. Yeah. So so Vect obviously sent them, and they're <sighs> hunting her down. So it'd be kind of weird to include them in the book. And I think it'd be kind of interesting if GW made them allies of convenience instead of battle brothers or i don't know i i feel like the more i read the fluff the more i i think the allies matrix should change every time i read it um yeah it's, it's just like yeah maybe it should really be desperate or like you know this is a really life and death business kind of proposition maybe they should become the apocalypse right <laughs> yeah it, it's really it's really kind of interesting um but Onto the Reborn Warhost attachment. You can't include Homunculus Covens. You cannot include the Avatar of Cain. But uh, minus the Homunculus Covens book, which actually has some really powerful stuff. Yep. Uh, there, it's still really good. It still has everything you need. Oh, and you also can't take Mandrakes. I know it's a huge loss, uh, but since they are ghosty demon guys, they're apparently not down with this. I guess. Mandrake. That didn't, I didn't actually notice that. That's because everybody forgets about poor yeah, Mandrakes. Man I, I think we all just assumed... I'm sure there's one person right now who's... 
crossing out slash erasing Mandrakes from their Eldar list. They're like, oh, man, well, I assumed you could. It's really sad because <laughs> Mandrakes are a really cheap throwaway unit that yeah, are obnoxious to dig out. And they would have been a great way to just infiltrate up a unit you plan on later sacrificing to power more guys. Yeah, they're so but bad. And they could maybe benefit from power from death, strength from death, too. No. No? No. no. They could get an extra shooting attack, but it's just bolters. Uh, well, you know. Anyways, um, so... Uh, what other, the Reborn oh, Warhost Detachment? Other interesting things about the, the Reborn Warhost Detachment is that it lists pretty much every main book, Eldar, Dark Eldar, and Harlequin Formation, that you can bring as part of it. Uh, I do want to throw a shout-out to a member of the uh, forums who posted on Frontline Gaming to uh, Dalimar, who pointed out a really interesting combo you can make using the Hero's Path. Uh, with it, the Hero's Path, in case you don't know, is a Harlequin formation that lets you take one Shadow Seer, one Death Jester, and one Solitaire. They gain Stealth and Shrouded and Infiltrate, and then they uh, lose the ability to have friends. So <laughs> none of them can join any units. Not a big loss for the Solitaire. He already didn't like people. Um, you combine this with one of the uh, uh, relics in the Eldari book that gives you... It will not die and feel no pain. Mm. And suddenly you've got a stealth shrouded, infiltrating, crazy, like 18 hit special rules, run. hit and run solitaire. Right, right. With it regenerates wounds and has feel no pain. Um, who gets to just start on a side of the board where things look weak and start blendering stuff. Right. And he's got two buddies that can hang out with him and give him soul burst actions. And since they have infiltrate, uh, they can start further up the table to either use soul burst from other guys or act as soul burst batteries because they're just 60 point models. It's not a huge loss. I really want to see someone take two heroes because they're really, the hero's path is a really cheap formation. Let's be honest. It's like a, I think he's a 35 point solitaire for all those rules. Mm, I think it's, I think it's low. It's, it's, it's low. I'm not uh, sure. I think... The total formation cost is, I believe, 260 plus the 35 points for the upgrade. So it's about oh, 300 it's 30, points that's for the whole the formation. Points. Which is still pretty cheap for three cool units. Well, two cool units. One cool unit. Uh, and you get a Death psychic. Psychic, yeah, psychic, psychic powers are good. My point is, is that I'd really like to see two Heroes Path formations where you get two Solitaires like that. You can't. I believe the Solitaire is unique. Oh, you can only take one solitaire. I will check that. Um, but it would be really funny to have two solitaires right next to your opponent, and they're like, "Which one are you gonna kill?" Because if you kill my buddy over here, I'm gonna charge you. But if you kill my other buddy over here, I'm gonna charge you. Ooh, I am incorrect. The solitaire is not unique. Feel free to to put your opponent in that conundrum. He's Pablo also he, he also charged. takes an elite slot too. You can um, run like eight of those guys. Um, but it's just really funny because I, I like the idea because that's the MSU at its core, right? Is that your opponent can't shoot all the different units because you can only target one unit with a shooting attack. Um, so you can kind of put two of the same unit in your opponent's face. And not only if they kill, not only will they not be able to kill both units with the same shooting attack, but if they do kill either of those units, the other will sword bush into you and charge you and probably kill you if it's a solitaire, if it's one of those badass solitaires. So I just think that's kind of funny, personally. Yep. Um, it's almost like the solitaires are, are mirror images of each other. You Ooh. shot the wrong one. Yeah. Solitaires <laughs> are actually, I think, one of the biggest winners from Strength from Death because they have some of the best movement in the Codex. They're small, single models. They're easy to hide around the board. They have all the ignores terrain uh, rules of the Harlequins. And, man, weapon skill 10 is, or 9 is scary. It is. It's pretty good. Uh, so as for what kind of lists... 
um, you can build out of this. George, do you have any interesting lists that you want to add to this? Uh, I think most people who look at this are going to look at it with the uh, view of the army that they're coming from. Uh, a Dark Eldar player is probably going to look to build uh, a vehicle-focused shooty list with maybe some charge elements. And I can't see a Harlequin player not just deciding that this is the perfect opportunity to uh, go in as hard as possible <laughs> while being cagey with your uh, long-range shooting units. But for combination stuff, I think it's really important to point out that the availability of Dire Avengers really helps both Dark Eldar and Harlequins because you can attach a character to them with a webway portal, drop in, and destroy two tanks pretty much every turn. Um, and that's huge because Dark Eldar and Harlequins both have trouble killing mass tanks. Uh, the availability of the Harlequin, uh, I believe it's called a Skyweaver. It may be the Starweaver. It's the transport one. Is definitely an option that Dark Eldar players or even Eldar players may want to look at because of the increased capacity of six on it, letting you take minimum squad units and then having the ability to attach characters in there, kind of letting you customize how your list plays depending on your opponent if you have a bunch of characters to mix and match with different units. Uh, I, I don't have a list personally um, that I've got, although I think you are going to see Seer Council's Death Stars come out of this on top. I think that's primarily what you're going to see, and you're also oh, going to see, yeah. you're not going to see a Reborn Warhost attachment a good Rebone Warhost attachment without the Incarn, which is the Avatar, because um, it's a really, really good model. Um, so I think a common build here you might see will be two Reborn Warhost attachments, um, one with the Incarn, one with the Wraith Knight, and then the moldings of maybe a few small MSU units here and there with the troop choices, and a Steer Council Death Star. And then that's that's the list. It'll it'll be small MSU, no obsec, um, small MSU units to kind of land on objectives and kill, shoot things, and then the Incarn, Wraith Knight, and the Seer Council Death Star. What I would personally like to see is a an Ineod's Net formation with all the bikes maxed out completely. It's really expensive because Warlocks are really expensive. Um, and then someone run that with something. I don't know, anything. I don't care. <laughs> that's a pretty big... Uh... That's a pretty big uh, commitment to Dark Eldar and Harlequin bikes. Yeah, but you know, I mean, eh, maybe, maybe one day. Probably a little overkill good. on the single, uh, the single squad of Eldar bikes. It's is that 10, 10 shuriken cannons. Ten shuriken can just do it. Just, Someone max it out. Someone please make my day. Um, anyways, onto the Revenant discipline in the psychic phase. Um, not there's we're gonna go over this quickly. We're running out of time a little bit here. Um, but there's one particular one power that I want to highlight, which is the Gaze of Inyad, uh, just from a fluff perspective and from a power perspective. Um, it's Warp Charge 3, Range 12, Strength 10, AP 1, Assault 1, Ignores Cover, Inescapable. The Inescapable rule basically means you cannot take invuln saves. Um, so if they roll a 2 plus to wound you, or they penetrate you, you you're probably going to die. Um, really good at killing knights. Really uh, good at killing putting knights. putting some damage on a knight. Great for killing a character who is kind of separated from their unit. Or if you feel like getting lucky, just see if your opponent's going to roll one on their lookout, sir. Right. Um, I just think it's kind of, from, from this perspective, I think it's funny. Um, I think the more powerful ones here are probably the Word of the Phoenix, which lets you soul burst a unit within 24 inches. Yep. Uh, you just pick a unit that has the strength and death roll, and then you get to soul burst them. Anything out of phase is strong. Really, really strong. 
Um, and then I think the other one, George, is... There are, there are two strong ones left, I feel. Okay, Storm sure. of Whispers is the new Nova Power. That one's really good. It is a 9-inch range Nova Power with Assault 2d6, and it's Strength 3, AP 2, and it ignores cover. So it's really good at clearing out models on the ground. And a lot of these in our units also get access to Cleansing Flame in the Sanctic book. Another strong Nova Power with the same range. Um, so if you can chain those two Novas together and also chain that into a Strength from Death or Soul Burst activation. You can use it to reposition between Novas to yeah, hit more true. units. Um, but it's really cool. Anyway, with the second power? And the other one that I really like is called Unbind Souls. It's Warp Charge 2. It's a Strength 4 12-inch range power, but its number of shots equals the number of models in the enemy unit. Oh, so, so it's really good at killing down those big giant guard blobs or if you can catch, say, a... a a wolf star or a bunch of corn dogs on a brimstone <laughs> or or brimstone horrors <laughs> too. Sneeze there. Yeah, uh, catch a unit without its defenses up, and it's a really good way to just put a lot of dice on them. Uh, yeah, it's it's really good. I, I don't think the game has a lot of this. A lot of true pure horde horde deal, killing. Horde killing. Yeah. Um, blast templates are small blast templates and artillery are kind of like the go-to for horde killing. I feel, um, but this this is. Yeah, a if true you're, if you're not, horde killing shooting attack. Yeah, if you're not playing uh, Thunderfire Cannons or Renegades, you don't have access to that as much as you want. Right, and even your opponent might spread out their units too and mitigate it. Um, so just that's a great power for yeah. just blowing up a, a multiple, a small, a so, large unit. Um, so onto the Ultimate Strike Force. The competitive, uh, the competitive blighter's dream, giving you a <laughs> answer to a problem that the Eldar have actually had for a while. Uh, so the Ultimate Strike Force is. One to four elite slots that uh, it gives you. They're they're the black versions of the black elite versions of the Eldar counterparts. So the black guardians, the black sky sky runners, the black oh sorry sorry the black wind riders. Yeah, they're the uh, Sam Fishers of the Eldar army. Right, <laughs> the, the black warwalkers, and then also the black vipers. Um, so basically, the, these are the elite version. They are more expensive, but they do get two cool rules. Um, the first rule is they can roll f to arrive from Deep Strike Reserve turn one, which is huge. It's big. Um, and then the second one is a unit composed entirely of models with this special rule um, can be set up in Deep Strike Reserves instead of deploying with the rest of your army, which means you can Deep Strike them. And then on the turn they arrive, they don't scatter. Um, but no model may be, no model be, be placed within nine inches of an enemy unit. Um, so you don't get the... I actually don't think they have the strength from death roll. They can. They're, they are some of the formations listed oh, in, I see. The, okay. in the uh, big super cad. Okay. But since it is nine inches, you're not really going to be able to benefit from the seven-inch bubbles as much as you want unless you start pulling some tip, some tricks to move enemy models around. Yeah. But they do also have battle focus. So you can choose to give them strength from death or battle focus depending on what you want out of them um, but the reason why i think this is so good is because it lets you take units of warwalkers lets you null deploy and then you can put the units of warwalkers traditionally units of warwalkers are fragile um, but giving them the ability to outflank or infiltrate or scout move it makes them a lot more powerful so that ability to position them perfectly like a webway portal anywhere you want and then shoot the crap out of something is huge uh, and the warwalkers are cheap too they're 65 points a model that, that's that's actually really cheap for a billion twin link shuriken shots or whatever if you want if you want to give them I think the the vehicle hunting one um sorry I don't know my my um sorry so you can give them scatter lasers bright lances star cannons or missile launchers 
Um, you can give them the Bright Lance if you want to kill some vehicles. Uh, scatter lasers are always a good choice. It's free uh, for scatter lasers. You'll probably so, just see them with the scatter lasers right. more often than not. But, but, but my point is, is that these Warwalkers are really strong. They replace the scalpel squadron that if you were taking previously in the homunculus coven's book uh they're a little cheaper i think than the scalpel the squadron. Warwalkers will come in um probably a little more expensive but if you're going bare bones cheap you can buy vipers and that's going to cost you about 160 points for six for four single man viper squads and that's what you need to have to unlock the ability to come in turn one you need to have four units of black uh formation guys Oh, uh, if it contains four units, that's 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 not that bad. No, it's it's, it's a pretty, it's a very reasonable uh, tax for strong for units that are definitely playable that will help you play around a weakness that you feel like your army may have, and so you have a choice of how you'd like to uh, try to get around the uh, problems of Alpha Strike armies that went first against you. Yeah, so um, that's I think I think that's probably the most honestly for Eldar for you Eldar players and you guys are free to disagree with me. I'm sure many of you might even turn the podcast off when I say this, but I think that's actually the most powerful thing that Eldar get out of this book. Not the strength and death roll, but it's actually this specific formation um, because it gives you pure Eldar players a cheap option to null deploy and also use Warwalkers, a unit that four four Warwalkers or four Vipers or whatever have you, um, four cheap units that come in that you get to roll for turn one, um, that deep strike, no scatter, uh, kind of like kind of like a little scalpel in themselves. They can take out what you need to get you first blood, get you first strike, um, get where you need to get you that key maelstrom point. Uh, it's ultra reliable. It's pretty much the epitome, I think, of competitive 40k in terms of what you can do with it. And, you know, it's flexibility. So that's just my opinion though. All right, guys, we have about 20 minutes. We're going to go into the GWFAQ now. Uh, the point of this is we're just going to talk about FAQ questions we want GW to answer. So we have a list of questions. I also have a list here. Uh, we, we're going to go into Don's list first, and then if there's any overlap with George's list, we can do that too. But Don, I think, did a pretty comprehensive list. Don, of course, is the TO I mentioned earlier who actually made an FAQ so his first question is, is a unit embarked on a transport affected with a soul burst action when a unit is destroyed within the proper range? Um, basically, can you soul burst from a vehicle? Do you count as right. being out of a vehicle? I suspect vehicle? this one's no, just because units probably aren't on the table. Yeah. Um, and then I think the next step to this one is if your transport blows up, do you get to soul burst GW? Because if it mark? does, that makes a lot of units really scary. Uh, anything that you can sneak into a vehicle with high movement, uh, you can just turbo boost that vehicle up. And then when it blows up, that guy can just flip over to some line of sight blocking terrain and he's good to go on turn two. Yeah. Oh, uh, one quick disclaimer. Um, guys, I'm asking these questions um, and you're free to answer them, uh, but please don't get mad at us. It's not like we don't know the answers to these questions or we don't have our own personal opinions um, because... Frankly, my opinion doesn't matter when it comes to an FAQ. GW's opinion is final. Um, I could have, I could say my own personal opinion and answer these questions just like you guys can. But if GW comes out and disagrees with us flat out, there's nothing we can do because they are the rules writers. That's hey, that, we got what we wanted at that right. point. So we that got is, the interaction and, and we, we know the answer and we can all move on. Yeah. So, Find some fun tactics with what we got. So, so please don't go online and answer these questions or ask these questions and flame other people who disagree with you. I've seen a lot of this, and I think it personally needs to stop. It's fracturing the community. Um, we ask these questions. We don't, we don't want or expect answers from the community at this point. We just want 
the questions asked, and then we want GW to answer them. Um, so, like I said, guys, I know the, the Internet 40K community can be, get pretty heated, especially when it comes to uh, people who feel like they, that the, way they, the rules they know are the way it should be or they feel like they're right or other people are wrong. Um, so, guys, just be civil about this, please, uh, in our comment section, in future comment sections. Um, you know, just, just, uh, just kind of wanted to say that before we moved on. Anyways, can I charge in the salt phase after turbo boosting or running or the turn I arrive from any type of reserves if I trigger a soul burster action in the same player turn. Also, can I charge a unit that is different than the one I fired at with a soul burst reaction in the same player turn? Mm. Um, I think that's a good question, personally. I I have no idea where to begin with that. My understanding is that soul burst actions generally have the restrictions that the action normally does. You right. just get to do it at a weird time. But this is a whole crazy new rule, and who knows where... The, the dice are That's a crazy implication. Um, the other way, if you could imagine wiping out a unit, uh, I guess you can't soul burst twice in the same turn. Never mind. Um, but I was thinking if a unit soul bursts and turbo boosted, like a Shining Spears, group of Shining Spears, they turbo boosted 36 inches um, with a soul burst action and then were able to charge. Oh, that would be kind of crazy. Speaking of Shining Spears, I do want to mention that uh, this power from death makes Shining Spears crazy good. Sh now, First off, at the LVO, and it's they're, they were kind of low-key co competitive from top players. Top players actually love Shining Spears. Players like Nick Nanavati, Sean Naden, myself, um, Mike Snyder. Shining Spears are, are low-key really good. They're good tech. Um, and then for those of you who don't know what tech is, tech is kind of... It's like that, that ace in the hole, that trick up your sleeve, that you, trick in your back pocket that you kind of keep for beating the meta. Um, so, so they're not good necessarily in, they're not a bread and butter unit, but they're good tech. They're good splashable units that will win you games for sure, mm -hmm. but only in small quantities. Right. And this makes them very strong because Shining Spears are really good at deleting backfield units yes. and they're really good at getting there. And now you're not stuck in the open after deleting that backfield unit. You can charge into another one or what's probably more likely since Shining Spears only get their cool weapons the turn they charge is you're going to turbo boost away to safety so you can do it again next turn. Yeah, it's I agree, George. It makes Shining Spears better. And I've always kind of liked Shining Spears, so it's kind of cool that the Wind Rider's quote-unquote poor worst cousin gets a little bit of a boost there. But anyways, next question. If I take off three hole points uh, from a Gargantuan Creature Super Heavy Vehicle, will that cause a Soul Burst reaction? And that's an ITC-focused question. Um as um, as a, a member of the ITC, I'm not going to answer that. Uh, but that is a great question for the ITC and for the guys who write the ITC FAQ. Um, will that trigger soul burst action? Because currently, right now, uh, the ITC only says that it just counts for missions. Um, so you know, maybe I don't know. I'm not going to open that can of worms right now. Reese, Frankie, and I will probably talk about that a little later, and maybe either put it up for a vote, or if it's pretty clear, we'll just do it ourselves and set it up. But anyways, that's another good question. If a unit suffers a deep strike mishap of a one, will that trigger a soul burst reaction? This Basically, one's big. This is yeah. probably the most contentious one. Uh, yeah. George? Do deep striking models that die count as having died on the table, more or less? Um, and do they count as having died where they would have landed? Uh, because if it does, then you can do some crazy suicide-esque deep strikes. But then that also opens some really interesting questions like, well, what happens if Celestine dies on a deep strike? Does she stand back up? And so just a, just a good, good one for the FAQ books to see where, uh, where the dice fall. Um, another one is, where do you measure 
uh, for a soul burst, if you wipe out a unit, like let's say in close combat, um, where there's different initiative steps, or if, um, let, let me actually pull up the actual question. How does one measure where a unit has died from the purposes of strength from death special role? Is it per phase? Is it from the last model standing? Is it per wound pool? Or is it from the unit itself? Um, that's a good that's a good question, yeah. I think. Uh, because if you wipe out a unit entirely with shooting and it all happens in one shooting round, do you measure from the entire unit? Do you measure from the last model? What um, if you dealt most of your damage with plasma guns, but the bolter is what killed that last guy? Right. Uh, do you measure from the whole unit or just where that last guy was because it was a different wound group? Yeah, and, and I know I know it, it might seem pretty obvious to that one, um, but I can think of some fringe weird rules that it might make it a little awkward, so you, you might want to know. Um, things like uh, Focus Witch Fires or Hemorrhage from Biomancy might be kind of strange. Um, but anyways, on to the next one. Can my Wraithblade start the game in a Raider or any other variant of the preceding question? Um, the reason why this question is asked, and there's a follow-up question to this that I have, um, is because of the Inari faction. You all of, you all gain the Inari faction. All Eldar, Dark Eldar, and Harlequins gain the Inari faction. Yep. Which means that they are now the same faction. Which means that maybe maybe they can be in can the same start, car. Right. But also at the same time, they also still count as Eldar and Dark Eldar. So, They're also still separate. Right. So so we don't. So GW. Um, if you guys could help us out with that one, that one's yeah. a real strange one. Because this is a funny question to me, because there's also a way you can read this where your unit of Dire Avengers who bought a dedicated transport uh, wave serpent look at the wave serpent and say, well, I see that you're a Yanari model. And the wave serpent looks at the unit that it was bought for and says, I see you're an Eldar model. And then they can't start together. Right, so because... it's really very strange. <laughs> yeah, it, and that's actually the question I had because the Yanari faction is... A separate faction from Eldar, Dark Eldar, and Holoquins. It specifically says that that it, they gain this faction in addition. In to In addition is where right. it gets weird. So, so these essentially what you have is you have two units that are two factions. One of the factions are the same, and one of the factions are opposing, um, which means that you won't be able to embark. Period, or you will. It, it's really confusing. So, GW, please help us out. Help us out a little bit. Um, next one. If an independent character is slain while in a unit, does that trigger soul burst reaction? Um, that's kind of kind of a, a duh question, but I think that also might need FAQing um, just for people that don't understand, or not people don't understand, but but there is an, an argument for if, since an independent character is joined a unit, it counts as the unit. Um, so if you will, it trigger soul burst action. That's I think it's a fair question. It's a fair question. You can read these. the The big thing you're looking at here is that there are fringe ways of looking at these questions where there can be read differently. And right. that's why we want distinct, clear clarification, yeses and noes. Yeah. Uh, if a demoralized unit falls off the table, um, they fall back and run off the table, would that trigger soul burst Ooh, action? I have no idea about that one. They are, they are removed as casualties, I believe is the exact words that they use. So, so as a removed as casualty, count as a kill. Um, and then, so... The stomp is also on a six. The models are removed from the game. They are not killed. Uh, would that trigger a soul burst action as well? Um, basically, a soul burst action is when a unit is destroyed. The verbiage there is destroyed. Uh, whereas if you look at the verbiage elsewhere for things like stomp and for falling back or running off the edge, 
the verb's a little different there. Um, what happens if we, another question? This is a good one. Ooh. I feel like we should have given a disclaimer that the following uh, conversation was going to heavily rely on semantics. Oh, that's true. So, <laughs> but that's, that's how 40K, that's how um, that uh, the rules stuff really gets hashed out at the end of the day. The next question that kind of goes in line with the deep strike mishap and the falling off the board is what happens if you if you suffer the trapped result when you're in your transport and you can't get out when your transport gets destroyed. Mm. Now, for those of you who don't know, that's a very common tactic used by players. What you do is you charge a transport, surround it completely um, so that the dudes inside cannot disembark, and then they suffer the trapped roll, which means they are destroyed. Um, so would that trigger a soul burst action? So would my unit of witches... Sir, can witches kill a rhino? Uh, yeah, you can throw like a haywire grenade. Oh, they could get plus one strength. Oh, from so the uh, the combat drugs. All right, so um, except you can't have combat drugs. You can oh, still you get, can combat get combat drugs. drugs. You're right. You, you can't get crazy on the pain, <laughs> but you can still juice up all you want. So, so if your unit of witches surrounds an enemy rhino with a unit of five marines inside, it destroys the marines, and then the marines die because the rhino died, would the marines trigger soul burst action? Um, I know that's kind of weird because you just killed your rhino. Uh, but hear me out on this. There could be multiple units right. in the area looking to activate right. could, solvers. Yeah, there could be a unit that's outside of seven inches of the rhino, but they're within seven inches of an access point on the rhino. Um, just, just you know, I kind of, I'm kind of curious with that one as well. That one's not a, a need to know one. I think we could probably leave it alone there. But um, this is another one that I think is kind of interesting. Uh, if one of my units completely wipes a unit in the salt phase, can that unit make a soul burst reaction? Uh, so Probably. can they soul burst when they, when they do it? Uh, that's, that's another question. That's a key something, question. Yeah, yeah. Something he felt like he needed to get answered. Finally, the last one on his FAQ, if a soul burst reaction causes me to charge into an ongoing combat that is already an initiative step of nine or lower, do I get my hammer of wrath hits? Mm -hmm. If I charge an unit of initiative one, do they get to fight? Um, <laughs> Those are great questions. So, so do you get your hammer of wrath hits if you charge in with a soul burst action in the middle of a, uh, initiative steps in close combat? And if you charge an initiative one, if you swing with your power fist, well, obviously Eldar don't have power fists, but if you swing an initiative one with your stomp stomp attacks or whatever, and you kill a unit, do you get to then soul burst and then charge in another unit and then get to attack? Period. Uh, those are great questions. Okay, and then a couple more that I had. Really, just two more. One is, can strength from death trigger movement-like abilities? Ooh, that's For a good example, one. swooping hawks can leave the table instead of moving when they're moving in the movement phase. Does that mean that a unit of swooping hawks that triggers strength from death can sky leap and jump into reserves whenever they want? That's a good question. Uh, this also works for movement like, say, the uh, solitaires move d6 times the number of turns move. Uh, and another one based on uh, Yvrain, who I think we already mentioned this in the first half, but uh, she generates extra psychic powers when things die around her. Can she have the ability to learn both of the psychic disciplines that she's able to in her in their entirety by having enough psychers die around her? Well, that's a good one. Oh, and finally, one last one. Ooh, I have one more, too. Oh, we have two more. Uh, Soulburst in the, the uh, Reborn Warhost detachment. Is that seven inches is the way? Settle our argument, GW, please. Do you soul burst if you're within seven inches? The one where you get to pick an extra unit that gets the soul burst with you. Um, do you have to be within seven inches of the unit that died? Or can it be from anywhere on the table? And then the last one I have is, is it possible 
to take uh, Dark Eldar Trueborn Warriors in the Big Fancy Detachment Ooh. because it lists them as troop choices, but in their unit entry, they say that they can shift their battlefield role to elite and be taken as uh, Trueborns. But the detachment doesn't list the Trueborns in the elite section. This is very similar to, I think, another question that has to do with the big Imperial one. Yeah, so Mounted Assault, uh, which is in the Castellans of the Imperium detachment, the Mounted Assault special rule lets you make, it basically makes your bikes, your Space Marine bikes, their battlefield rule, changes them to troops, um, which begs two questions, actually. One is, if their battlefield rule becomes troops, can you take the Space Marine bike as a troop choice in the book, in the Castellans of the Imperium Detachment, to fulfill that mandatory troop slot. And then the second question is, since it changes their battlefield role to troops, would they all now be able to regenerate on a 5+, plus? Um, because the Castellans of the Imperium Detachment says that troop choices on a 5+, plus, or troop units, I, I don't know the exact wordings, but troops on a 5+, plus come back with all their upgrades. Uh, so that that changes a bunch of different things, and I'm kind of curious. Um, there's There's some good arguments for both sides. And I think those are the big things that we need to ask GW. When those GW are all the ones we found. But with a rule as versatile as this, more and more crazy oh. situations oh, yeah. are going to come up. Yeah. So it. So with this, that pretty much wraps up the podcast, guys. I will leave you with one final thing. Uh, please, if you if you felt like you you need the call to action and need to ask GW or to answer these questions, please go to their Facebook page and do so. I know I'm going to do so. I'm going to email all, all of the GW people I can, I can find emails for and ask them, Hey, we need answers to these rules questions. Um, so guys, we did a great job getting GW to FAQ the rules period. Um, they did a great job with the wrath of Magnus book with the trader legions book. And of course with the core rule book and all the other faction codexes. Um, so, you know, let, let's ask them. Let's go pester them and see, get them to release an FAQ. If, and if it's already in the works, GW, I apologize. Um, but, you know, it, we as a community have the power to get GW to answer these questions and make this game better for everyone, uh, which, which is, I think, the re reason why we have these kind of debates and these conversations. So, guys, if you could go onto the Warhammer community page, the Facebook Warhammer community page, and just ask GW these questions and see what they say. See if they, you know, make them feel like they really need to make an FAQ for this book because they do, let's be honest. Yep. All right, guys. Thanks very much for listening. If you're going to tune in next week, next week I plan on having a very um, famous guest. He's Actually, he's famous to me. He's, I love him. Um, but uh, I plan on having a good guest. He's uh, the winner of a major event, perhaps the major event of the year. Um, perhaps it was held in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, maybe. Uh, but that that's the goal for that next week's, next week's podcast. Catch that, guys. Thank you very much for listening. You guys are the best listeners in the world. Have a good one. Okay, guys. Here we are with Daniel Rice. Uh, we're going to interview him to, uh, to talk about the March Madness event uh, happening on the 18th and the 19th. Daniel, help me out. Yes, sir. It's going to be on the 18th and the 19th of March down here in lovely Conway, Arkansas. Conway, Arkansas. So yes, Daniel Rice is here to promote the event. Uh, he's not the TO or the head judge. Andrew Taylor is the TO. I guess he's out for business. And Richard Berry is the head judge. Um, they're both, they're both uh, from what I understand, they've been doing the event for four years. Yeah, that's uh, correct. We actually started it uh, four years ago. Just kind of had an idea. We kind of lacking some tournament play around the March time. Me and Andrew were kind of kicking some ideas back and forth how we thought our team was going to do in the March Madness tournament and decided it'd be kind of fun to have a, a double elimination bracket style tournament. Um, you know, one day, just keep going until somebody wins. And 
at about four in the morning when that finally ended, we realized that it kind of was not going to fit good for a <laughs> format. So um, we kind of went ahead at this point and just made it into an ITC event, um, standard format, and uh, been killing it ever since, really enjoying it, been keep growing every year. Right on. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you ditched the double elimination format. Oh, that makes two of us. Because you guys reached 60 players. You guys are you guys are capping at 60 players this year. You guys are becoming a five-round, two-day event. And judging from what I've heard about the event, you guys are definitely going to hit that 60-player cap. Oh, definitely. Um, right now, I believe, when me and Andrew spoke uh, probably about 30 minutes ago, we had, I believe, 17 tickets remaining. And earlier today, I know we were close to the mid-20s. So um, we've been picking it up definitely in the last couple of days. Um, so they're going quick. And if you're planning on coming, I would definitely... Uh, Hope to see you here, but you might want to get on and start grabbing that ticket pretty quick. Okay, guys, and if I want to give you a good enough reason to go to this event, they are actually giving out $700 cash to the winner of the event, and that's winner best overall or best general? Uh, that's best overall, so okay. it will be $700 cash to best overall. So, guys, if, you, if you're going to be in the area March 18th and 19th, that's $700 cash. That is insane. Um, that is that is half of that is more than what we give to the best overall at the LVO, though not by much. But we don't give it the give it to them cash. We give it to them in store or in prize support, uh, basically. So that that is huge. And then on top of that, Daniel, there's also more prize support total that you're giving out for best general, best painted. Uh, I believe there's also a wooden spoon or a worst of the tournament prize as well. Oh, the coveted. Worst of the uh, tournament prize, yes. I believe it's actually uh, – I'm not really 100% sure if I can actually tell you what that is, but there will definitely be something for the poor individual who ends up finishing last. But, yeah, we've got a ton of prize support coming in. I know Army Painter is sending us some stuff nice. uh, to go for. A lot of the other grand tournaments we have around in the southeast area. Slobberknocker sending us over some tickets for their grand tournament that's coming in July. And we also have the Iron – Good, yes, sir. Well, we also have the Iron Halo is sponsoring some tables as well. They are sending us a ticket for their event. Uh, Flying Monkeys as well, their grand tournament, sponsoring a table and giving us some ticket for prize support there also. So you're you're part of the Midwest TO circle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you guys don't know what the, the Midwest, who the Midwest Conquest or the Midwest TO circles, I like to call them, uh, they are a group of TOs in the Midwest obviously, who all support each other. They have a Facebook group. They all talk and bounce ideas back and forth, and all of their events are growing dramatically. There's there's obviously the March Madness event. There's the Renegade Open. There's the Iron Halo GT, the Flying Monkey GT, and then the Slobberknocker GT. All of those events have... I, I've covered all of those events at one point, and they've all grown. Uh, if, you, if you've heard of him, Matt Root, the ITC champion, last year's ITC champion, uh, I believe this is kind of where he made his bread and butter killing all of uh, attending all of these events. Uh, so Matt Root, he won the Flying Monkey GT. He did uh, really well. I think he won the Iron Halo GT. He, he did. He did win the Iron Halo right. GT. I, I don't know if he went to March Madness last year. Um, I don't believe I saw Matt at March Madness last year. Um, we had some people definitely from the area who came, um, did very well, actually. Uh, I believe Nate, Nate Bates made it to top table. Okay. Joshua Dearth, but, but yeah, they've uh, they play some good 40k down there. Yeah. So and then of course he did well at the Midwest Conquest GT. Uh, these these Midwest events are growing, and the, the pride support for them are huge. The fact that you're giving away tickets to the Iron Halo GT, the Slobberknocker GT. Um, did you also say the Midwest Conquest? I'm not sure. 
Uh, it was Slobberknocker, Iron Halo, and it was also going to be Flying Monkeys, is Flying what we Monkeys have currently. Happens. And like I so said, we're still about a month out at this point, so um, sponsorships keep rolling in. There's so many of them. And the fact that you can go to these events, and they're all they're all relatively within driving distance. Um, and when you're talking $700 cash prize or a, a Battle of Hoth table terrain set, um, the the prize support for attending these events is huge. And so guys, I really, really, really encourage you guys to go out there. March Madness is the first of all the, uh, we'll call them, we'll call it right now, the Midwest tournament circuit. We'll call that. Uh, it's, I believe it's the first one out of all of them. I think it's I believe so as well. March yep. Madness. Um, and then flying monkey. I'm going to completely butcher this flying monkey, then Midwest conquest, then iron halo, then renegade. Uh, uh, you guys are all probably like, no, you're wrong, but that's okay, um, because that's not why we're here. We're not here for those tournaments. We're here to talk right. about the March Madness event, uh, which is part of the Midwest Conquest, the Midwest Tournament Circuit. Um, so, Daniel, what is the format for the March Madness event? Sure, so it's going to be a five-round, two-day tournament, as you said. Um, we're starting on the 18th, uh, going into the 19th. In the event that we have a tiebreaker, we will have a uh, six-round tiebreaker. If two people just absolutely crush it, uh, it will go only towards your placement uh, for first or second. It won't be for actually the ITC points. Um, but okay. five round, um, using GW FAQs, um, filling in with the ITC FAQs if there's been something that's been voted on by the community, be it the invisibility nerve or stuff of that nature. Right. Uh, so what are you allowing or disallowing anything separate from how the LVO or uh, the generic ITC format is ran? Uh, we're allowing everything for it. Now, I did not get to keep up as much with the LVO. Uh, had some business to attend to. Right. Uh, but we will be allowing the new Eldar um, book and okay. everything that goes in those books as well. So I cannot wait to get soul bursted off the table. <laughs> um, so it, that's actually really funny because this interview is the end of the second part, part two to the soul burst interview. Unfortunately, I'm recording this before I'm recording part two. Um, mm-hmm. But as I'm sure you guys have all just heard George and I talk about Solburst being really strong, uh, it's actually it's really interesting because we have uh, we asked we asked some questions about the new Inari book and that GW should FAQ. Uh, so how are you guys handling some of the really weird things that happen with Solburst? And I, I don't have any any uh, examples off the top of my head, but the listeners do because they just listened to our list of questions that gw needs to answer for this book so how are you how are you going to deal with those really at this point it's we've been discussing that between a lot of the judges for the other events we've got a facebook group that we all kind of get into and bounce ideas off each other you know if we see something be it on frontline if a question gets asked in the comments or on daca we definitely go ahead and try to make a call as it may be but really if you're planning on taking that faction and you've got a question and kind of would like to get some clarification before you actually come to the event, best way to do it is just go to our Facebook page. Um, you can just search on Facebook for March Madness 4th Annual and post the question on there. That definitely would make sure that you know, you're not bringing something, thinking it's going to interact one way, and then get a call made for you when you go ahead and get at the event. That give us um, Also, if we have anything that we haven't seen yet, we'd love to get that stuff kind of out in the open. And so we can make a post on it, you know, prior to the event. So there's no surprises when you get there. Okay, great. And then while you're also there at the Facebook group, is that where you would submit your lists? Because as I understand it, you guys are also taking list submissions uh, with a deadline one week before the event starts. That is correct. That is actually uh, not where you would go ahead and do so. Um, I believe the post has been put up there. If not, I'll give you the email address now. 
We have an email address of des, D-E-S, allies, A-L-L-I-E-S, 40K, at gmail.com. If you want to go ahead and submit your list over there, just to kind of make sure, I know it's, it's really hard to go through every list, but 60 people with being a week prior to, we feel like we can have enough people go ahead and vet over those just to make sure we don't catch any glaring errors so that we don't have any issues coming day one, nothing either running someone's time or if so, we'll respond to you and let you know what error we might have found. That way we can fix that before the event. Okay, and then if you guys hear uh, ding in the background, that is actually some baseball youth uh, training for their eventual MLB, you know, debut, hopefully, if everything goes well. Next door, the guy next door runs a youth kind of training program for talented baseball players. Young. So anyways, if you guys hear that, that's what that is. Uh, and also onto list submission, it's actually very cool that you guys are taking in time to make sure all the lists are legal. And on top of that, you guys also have the Facebook group for questions that or for people who want to ask questions about your event to make sure that they're not bringing a list and they won't be blindsided by a judge rolling, which is huge. So guys, take full advantage of both of those resources. You'll find the email that Danny was talking about in the show notes. He's going to text it to me or email it to me right now, so I'll just put it in there. And then also one other thing that I wanted to mention before we move on is it's really cool that you guys have a sixth round tiebreaker uh, because as, as I found out when I ran the BAO, last year when I helped run the BAO last year and then two years ago when I helped run it again those five round events especially when you have large players especially for an event like the BAO it's it's really unsatisfying when four players finish with a five and zero record or or what have you or two players right last year with 200 players fortunately for us we we had a true winner who the only person who went five and zero and truly undefeated uh which is Brandon Grant um but the fact that you guys are incorporating that into your event is is amazing. And, and it, if you're a TO and you're listening to this interview to kind of get an idea of how to run an event or uh, how you should do your event or what an, an event, a well-run event looks like, l- look at March Madness and look at those Midwest tournament circuit events because these guys are innovating and coming out with these new things like the sixth round for the five-round event. Um, it's obviously, the ITC format is standard, but... They're also working on the Facebook group and the list checking. Uh, so all of the cool tournament ideas that I'm getting are coming from these guys. I'm obviously Nova. The Nova missions are really cool. Um, but currently, as, as far as innovations and new things in the tournament scene, uh, these guys are, in my opinion, the forefront. Uh, but, you know, of course, I don't go to all events. And obviously, I, I don't have... Uh, I'm not omnis, omnipotent, omnipotent. Um, so if you guys have other other ideas, send them on, send them to me. FrontlineGamingPDPOB at gmail.com. I do love talking to TOs about their about their events and their innovations and what they feel works best for their communities. Um, so, anyways, Daniel, let's say a player come to the come to your events, come to March Madness. Um, he wants to win. What does he expect to see? Everything, really. I mean, coming down to it, you're going to see your top tier list. Um, you're going to see demons of all varieties. Um, Split's just such a pain in the butt right now that I'm still looking for answers for it, to be honest with you. <laughs> so you're going to run into that. Um, I've had a few practice games in against the new books that have come out. Soul Burst is a, something that's going to be an issue, but you're really going to run into everything. I mean, we've got people who will bring orcs. Uh, got some Harlequins, got some Corsairs. You'll probably see a Death Watch or two. I mean, 
Uh, Death Company of Creek will be there as well. Your, your Death Corp apologies there, but you're just going to see a little bit of everything. And it's so crazy just from the normal events that we run, which are always very competitive. You know, it's uh, you don't ever get an easy win when you come to one of the ones in Conway. But just everyone who comes out of the woodwork to these events makes it just – it's a grind. I mean, if you can win it, more power to you. Right. And then I, from what I understand, you are also going to be attending the event as a player. I will be, yes. So I, what do you plan on bringing? I'll be bringing Gene Stiller Colt with a mix of Tyranids. Um, I've got a really bad habit of being stubborn. And <laughs> I just from my StarCraft days growing up playing PC games, Tyranids kind of were drawn to me. So I've been playing Nits since fifth edition. That's when I kind of got into it in high school right. and haven't, uh, haven't dropped them since. And always heard of the, uh, good old glory days of Gene Stiller cult. When they finally got released, I figured it was time to kind of jump on the bandwagon. Right on. I, I've a uh, space Marine player myself. I was a big Terran player in mm-hmm. Starcraft. So I understand the sentiment of Starcraft getting you into the game. Um, although I started like right when sixth hit. So as soon as the proverbial shit hit the fan of sixth oh, edition, it um, was a shit storm. <laughs> Right, but that's okay, um, because we weathered the storm. We're in 7th edition now. And one last thing about attending the event. I have a question for you, and then we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Okay. Why did you guys decide to go with the ITC format instead of, uh, let's say, like Nova missions or um, maybe a more general, like uh, general by-the-book format like Adepticon or even uh, the Renegade Open and their missions? Why did you guys pick ITC standard format? Well, really, when 6th edition hit, um, Conway was a store. It's not my uh, in-town store. I live a few miles outside of Conway. Okay. Um, Conway store was fantastic, had the area to play, really had everything going. But 6th edition by the book, it really felt bad losing in 6th edition just because you drew the wrong card as opposed to the other player across from you. So doing some research, kind of figuring out what we were going to do, me and Andrew ran across the ITC at that point. And once we started incorporating that into our events, it finally kind of sparked that life back into us. Um, the tournament scene we had here was dying. It was dwindling. Um, once we started putting, you know, the dual strategy to it from going for primary versus going for secondary, you know, it always felt like you had a chance to win. And I guess that's what a lot of the players in our group really started to enjoy. Um, so really, I think the reason the ITC is just a big part of what we do right now is because it kind of brought life back to the group that we're in. Okay. Okay, so you guys are kind of sticking to your roots and kind of what's worked for you guys in the past. Definitely. And I mean, the one thing I always really enjoyed about the ITC, and Andrew would back me 100% on this if he wasn't too busy being an adult and on a business trip, is that you know what you're going to get when you go to an event. That's one thing that we've always found really to be a bonus with the ITC is whenever we go to an event, you know, we've got the FAQ, we've got the mission pack. So you know what you're going to be walking into, albeit the random rules you know, kind of question that can pop up here or there. Um, but that's wherever you go. That's not ever going to change as long as GW is still writing the rules. Right. Um, but that's one thing we've always enjoyed. When you go to an event, you know what you're going to walk into. So you have time to adequately prepare. Um, you know what rules, you know kind of what the judging call is going to be based upon the FAQ. Um, so it just feels good to be able to go to a place and kind of know what you're going to run into. And then it's just luck of the draw. Who are you going to face? Okay. Well, that's that's a very solid reason for sticking with that format. Uh, Daniel, before we go, is there any uh, shout-outs, anything you'd like to say about the event? Definitely. So there's a couple things I want to do. Now, I know you mentioned the $700 cash prize that we have, uh, which, yes. you know, the last two years we had 500 and Andrew's going 
I guess, crazy this year because he decided mm -hmm. 700 was a number that needed to be attained. Um, but for our second place prize, we're actually having a painted Imperial Knight and a hundred dollars in store credit. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, <laughs> I were I really. It I feel gets really bad. I don't live in Arkansas right now. Hey, man, it gets better. <laughs> so for third place, we got fifty bucks in store credit, and we'll just throw in a you know a boxed Imperial Knight with that third place okay. finish as well. Very cool. Fourth place, we're gonna throw away seventy-five dollars store credit. Now for best painted, we have a Army Painter gift box that we'll be giving away that they've helped sponsor us with. And for the best sportsmanship award, we got fifty bucks in store credit. Now there's gonna be random drawings throughout this entire event as well. And in case we didn't throw enough knights into the prize pool, there'll be an Imperial Knight random drawing. You know, we've got some Lehman Rust battle tanks, various board games, GW products we'll all be giving away. So far, we've got about $2,100 in prize support. Nice. And we're still a month out. But the one thing I really kind of wanted to make sure that was known is the night beforehand, we're having a beer hammer tournament in an adult night for anybody who's wanting to get there a little early. Um, maybe drink a few beers, play some crazy 40K, and... We'll be doing other games as well. We'll have a magic tournament there. We'll be kind of demoing Lord of the Rings with Malifaux, just in case anyone's kind of looking around to see any other tabletop game they might be interested in. And like I said, you don't even have to play. Just you want to come on down to Miswell, have a beer, talk with people. It'll be a it'll be a good night. Okay, so guys, you heard it from Daniel. You heard it here first on Chapter Tactics. March Madness sounds like an amazing event. You have Beer Hammer, so beer. Um, you have Magic Gathering if you're feeling a little 40 k out, or Malifaux if you really want to get into Malifaux and Lord of the Rings. Uh, you have a, a spectacularly run five-day, five-round, two-day event. Not a five-day event. That'd be terrible. Oh, thank God. <laughs> um, but a five-round, two-day event with a potential sixth round to make sure that someone, the person who wins that $700 prize, the $700 cash prize, earned it. Uh, on top of that, you have an amazing prize support. $2,100 in prize support is is a lot um but it's it's actually it's spread out across you know more than just the 700 and on top of that i imagine that 2100 prize support is what you guys pay for that's not including sponsorships um i don't know if you added in what uh, what it would cost to go to the iron halo gt or what it would cost to win all that free army builder stuff so shout out to all of your sponsors um the iron halo gt army builder who else so right now, I mean, the sponsors we've got going is I really want to give a shout out to uh, we have a dental company up here called Arkansas Family Dental. They've been sponsoring us for two years in a row now. Okay. So really big thanks to them. They're throwing a couple tables together for us. Nice. We also have uh, Stone Throw Brewery is going to be sponsoring the beer for our beer hammer tournament. So if you guys are like me, uh, they're my favorite. More power to them. Uh, really appreciate what they're throwing together. And we have all, you know, the surrounding area GTs have really kind of banded together and really helped to make sure that we've got you know adequate sponsorship you know they're giving tickets out to their events so like i said i mean everyone if we're being honest everyone wants that 700 dollars cash i mean <laughs> that's huge i mean that i got a windshield right now i'd love to replace that 700 dollars. right right I, but, I, i'm looking at a certain primark to get mastercraft cleaned. <laughs> um so so guys if you're going to go to the event they, they have great sponsorship uh it's going to be a fantastically run event the march madness event the 18th and the 19th if you're feeling a little down about your bracket, your March Madness bracket, um, and you don't think you're going to win big there, go ahead and go to the March Madness event in Arkansas. I forgot Conway, the name. Arkansas. Conway. Conway. Yes, I, I almost said Danway, but that's not right. Conway. Hey, you know what? We should rename it that. Danway sounds amazing. Danway sounds. <laughs> but Conway, Arkansas, if you guys are going to be there, hit it, hit them up on Facebook. Once again, the link is down below in the description. 
on the blog, as well as the email for where to submit your list. Uh, because if you want to attend the event, you don't want to show up without having your list submitted. Um, and I know a lot of you guys like to procrastinate with your list submissions and your event signups, looking at half of the people, not half of the people, like like an eighth of the people at Delvio. I'm over-exaggerating because it was, it was a pretty big deal. <laughs> um, but I know you guys like to procrastinate, and that's perfectly okay because an event like this is a, even more fun, in my opinion, when it's a kind of last-minute decision with your buddies, uh, which is what you guys should do. It's, it's a tailor-made event for hanging out with your buddies. There's beer. Uh, there's good times. Sounds like there's going to be a real diverse environment there. And who knows? You might get lucky. Definitely. And I mean, like I said, you know, we have that cutoff one week beforehand. Really want to get those lists in just because, like I said, it's it's your responsibility to make sure that the list you're running against is going to be something that's legit. You know, if it sounds too good to be true, it's not Demons or Eldar, then it probably is. You probably need to take a look at it. But this really helps kind of cut down on that, make sure that we run a good event for everybody. Um, really just want to make sure that we don't have anything other than just rolling some dice, having a good time when we get there. Okay. Daniel, thank you very much for coming on and promoting the March Madness event. Uh, well, one last thing, actually, Paul, so sorry, Paul from Best Coast Pairings, we are going to make this event a sponsored event. Uh, and then, so, so what that means for you guys, and I know this is at the end of the interview, and I apologize, uh, basically, Best Coast Pairings sponsored events are events where you can go into the Best Coast Pairings app in uh, Apple or your Android device, and you get to look at the lists of all of the players that attended the event. Uh, it is absolutely, from what I understand, it's free. Uh, for Best Coast Pairings, although I'm sure they'll hash out the details. And the Best Coast Pairings guys also sponsor the event with maybe some swag, depending on how large the event is, uh, how much how much promotion. But you guys are running Best Coast Pairings at the event, which is, is big. Big kudos to you. It promotes, uh, promotes basically uh, the competitive community in terms of coverage, uh, because people can look at the lists at the March Madness event and see what kind of what people are doing who won that $700 cash prize and it helps it helps promote competitiveness in the community and also it just helps promote the community in general um, because they get to see the, a lot of the big questions are what armies are doing well what lists are doing well who's doing well and so a best coast pairings app that shows you the list helps promote that helps answer those questions so we can focus on other things like why are those lists doing well why are those factions doing well how do i counter that and when you go into that next level of competitive play the competitive game becomes a lot more enjoyable it opens the door for unique lists like lawrence's top nine dark eldar list where he ran a metric ton of Eldar, Dark Eldar Reavers, and was one one point loss away from making the top eight with a pure Dark Eldar faction. Which you should have given that man a medal for making it that high. Uh, he's Eldar. actually going to. I'm in. I'm. I'm not going to overhype it. I'm, it's not set in stone, but I am in talks with him to get him on Chapter Tactics to talk about that list uh, because that That's sounds amazing. crazy. So, so guys, just just Best Coast Pairings. We're going to make this a sponsored event. We've already talked to the Best Coast Pairings guys. We just needed to make it official with Andrew Taylor, the TO for March Madness. Um, but if that happens, you can go into the Best Coast Pairings app, look at the sponsored events, and then click on the player names and their list submissions. Guys, if you're going to the March Madness event and you plan on attending, sign up for that event on Best Coast Pairings. And then make sure you have your list ready to submit to the TOs and the head judge so they can enter your list into Best Coast Pairings, or you can create an account on Best Coast Pairings and do it yourself too. Uh, either way, let's everyone band together to 
get your lists up on Best Coast Pairings to help promote this amount of coverage for the community because it's only going to make it better for all of us. Okay, guys, I'm off my soapbox. Best Coast Pairings is amazing. Shout, big shout out to them. Big shout out to the Arkansas Family Dental for sponsoring the March Madness event, Stone Hue Brewery, Army Builder, and all of the Midwest GT event tournament circuit events. You guys are all amazing. You guys are going to make this event rock. I can't wait to cover it. Daniel, thank you so much for having me. And Pablo, appreciate you coming on, man. And if if I can get on that soapbox for one second, I do have one <laughs> shout out I'd like to make, sir. Sure. So. In the event, we also have one of our head judges, kind of our odd man out. It's going to be a Mr. Heath Shepard. Okay. Um, guy is a outstanding ITC supporter. He um, really loves kind of the format you guys have done, really credits our entire community for being able to come together. Um, once the introduction of the ITC came in, uh, kind of upset he couldn't make it tonight. He uh, kind of wanted to get on, maybe get a little airtime as well. He loves you guys, loves what you've done for the community. I wanted to give Heath a shout out. Heath, you're the man. You're the man. It takes it takes a lot of cojones to judge these kind of events. So, Heath, you're the man. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, that's been this interview. Look forward to more to more coverage of tournaments and like the March Madness event here on Chapter Tactics and on FrontlineGaming.org. Have a good one.